All right, hello and welcome. This is Back in the Net, CISC soccer podcast. Today I've got the head women's soccer coach at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, UNCC, John Cullen. John, thank you so much for being on here with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I would just like to, first and foremost, uh, we, we try to get to know our guests a little bit better. Um, so I kind of want to get your background. Uh, I've looked up the bio online, and as it is with soccer, it's a small world. You know, you, you played at UNC Charlotte. You actually played for Frank Kohlenstein, who was one of my first bosses. I went out to Colorado School of Mines and, and worked with Frank on the men's and women's program, an excellent Division II school out in Colorado uh, for two years. I started off at App State and jumped out there with them. Um, but, yeah, so what, what, what took you or brought you over here to America? I believe you're from England. And what happened with coaching after you got done playing? Yeah, it sounds sounds like we're all connected in some way, shape, or form with the the soccer world. We're probably all former teammates in the real life. But um, yeah, I got recruited by Frank um, in '89. Um, Frank was originally at the time USC Spartanburg coach, and um, he was looking at me as a potential player for their program. He'd come over to England, and uh, he was looking for a number of prospects and. Um, you know, at the time he was at Spartanburg and then eventually when I did commit to him, he ended up getting to Charlotte and one of the, I'd like to think that I was at least a, a bargaining chip. He said, look, you know, if I got, go to Charlotte, I've got a couple of English players lined up and I'd like to bring them with me. So I never did step foot on the campus of Spartanburg except to play a game against him at any point. Real, real quick, was that a, uh, were they the Spartans at the time or were they the, was it the Rifle Men, the Rifle Boys? What, what were it they? The, it was the Rifle Boys and I think... <laughs> When I, when I got the, the program guide and I wasn't quite sure what I was getting myself into, um, wasn't sure if it was a hunting group, I thought, well, I might as well join the 49ers. Um, but, you know, the way it worked out is he came over to England looking for players and um, there was a company over there at the time, I can't remember, Sports Scholarship Foundation, and they, they'd set up uh, a sort of an, a trial where they could have a bunch of players come out and play against uh, each other. And the American scouts or coaches at the time would come over and watch a, watch a game. But there wasn't enough of those scholarship players interested in coming out to the States. I mean, it was still at that time, you know, not, not well known, not very knowledgeable what the league was like for collegiate soccer in America. So they had a game set up, I think, on a Saturday. And uh, I think a lot of the American scouts were kind of disappointed at the, at the talent level. And so they arranged a game the next day against what would be the equivalent of an ODP team or a county team. In England, it's a county team. So I was on the county team and they brought us in to play against what was prospects for American colleges. And um, we battered them. Um, we absolutely, you know, battered them. And I remember the American scouts at the time saying, well, we're not sure about the guys that want to come, but we love the guys that, uh, that you brought out to play. And I think nearly all of us ended up at that point having a conversation at the end of a game. So I went out to play a game at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And at 2 o'clock that afternoon, Frank and a number of other coaches wanted me to go to the States. So my life just changed like that. Um, I had no real awareness of what the game was about other than that I was playing for my county team against an opponent at the time. And when we played... You know, like I said, we are we were stronger players. We were arguably some of the better players in our region area. And um, we gave them a good hiding. And so, you know, Frank, amongst three or four other coaches, um, just pulled me aside afterward and said, look, you know, I'm from this particular school or this institution or this university. Would you be interested in coming to America? And um, I think Frank had the, the bigger, um, should I say, you know, 
aggressive approach. You know, he's like, you know, what, what would it take? Um, we want to get you here. We want to get you over to the States. You'd love it. And I remember going home to my parents that night and saying, Mom, Dad, I think I've got about three or four scholarship offers to go and play in the States. I got to imagine that if you didn't know what that scrimmage was going into it, your parents had no idea that you'd be coming home with, with offers to move to America for a college education. Unbelievable. I mean, my dad was like, you know, first of all, it's a scholarship to what? He was thinking, uh, you know, a school in, in England or a, a trade or something, <laughs> um, you know, and at, at the time, my mom was just completely unaware of even the context of the game I was playing at. She knew I had a game, but she didn't know at what level and what opponent. And um, so, you know, you, you go home in the evening and say, look, this, this has been an interesting day, you know. I've had a, sort of a turn of events where a number of schools are interested in talking to me quickly. And some of them were saying, look, we need you in three days time. They weren't, they weren't messing about. And um, so I, you know, I quickly pulled it all together. And um, I said to Frank, who was one of four or five coaches at the time that was interested in me, I said, look, I, I think I'd like to give this a shot. You know, at the very least I was young enough to think if it didn't work out, I could come back and resume my football career in England and pick up on something. Um, and you know, he then turned around a few weeks later and said, look, I've just been offered this shot, the job at Charlotte and, uh, I've somewhat negotiated that you're going to come with me. And, um, <laughs> that was it. You know, it's, it's kind of, I'm not sure if there was any violations along the way or <laughs> if there was anything that I shouldn't have done or he shouldn't have done, but, um, I would verbally committed to Spartanburg to play for Frank and never, Never saw the campus, never spoke to anybody in the administration. It was, it was all through Frank, and uh, I'm very thankful for the experience because I think I landed in a really great place. Yeah, that's excellent. And then did you do all four years at UNC Charlotte? And, and also remind me and, and tell the people that are listening, um, you guys are very good when Frank was the coach there, um, national rankings, and at least one NCAA semifinals. Were you part of one of those teams? Uh, you know, we were very, very good. Um, we, we got to the NCAA two of the three, four years I was there. I played 89, 90, 91, 92. Um, and one year, uh, I think our highest ranking was we were either number two and number three in the country. Um, and uh, we were actually at that time going up to play University of Virginia. And they had, um, you know, Tony Miola, Jeff Agus, all those guys, Brad Agus and all those guys. Um, they were a talented team. It was virtually, uh, you know, that the national team at that level, um, at the under 23, under 21. So that team was stacked and we, we were playing them in their, what was known as the Coca-Cola uh, Virginia tournament. And if we'd beaten them, uh, we would have gone into number one in the country that weekend. Unfortunately, we dropped a heart, heartbreak at 2-0. But uh, we had a great uh, four-year run. Um, and some great battles against your dad's teams. Um, just fantastic, fantastic, hard-fought, intense games. Um, you know, enjoyed those games. I mean, you're always looking for a rivalry, you know, we're, we're not Manchester United versus Manchester City, but Charlotte versus Davidson to us in those days was great because both teams were in a really, really good place. Both teams were very strong and a lot of us knew each other in the summer because we would play in the summer leagues together or we're playing indoor leagues together. So you had four great years there. Um, and a lot of my teammates actually went into coaching, which says a lot about their love of the game. So I think that shows why we were so driven or so, you know, really hardworking players that we loved the game beyond just playing it. And a number of my colleagues and teammates are now collegiate coaches, club directors of coaching, but still very heavily involved in the game. 
Yeah, it's it's fantastic that that coaching tree and and like we mentioned or once once or twice before, you know, if uh, if we haven't officially met prior, I've definitely been ball boy on one of the fields that you were playing on. Uh, but it's great. It's such a small world. It's always good to to figure out what the connections are. So, did you immediately start coaching? Did you go back home? Did you stay in the states? Uh, you know, again, another kind of unique story in the fact that uh, my senior year at Charlotte. Um, one of the assistant coaches at Charlotte, his name was Sean Bubb. Um, he, he's kind of stepped away from the college game and he went into club coaching and he became the director of coaching of what was then Charlotte Park, Sharon, then they yep. became Charlotte Soccer Club. So he got me um, two teams in the spring season to do a little bit of coaching. And um, I was enjoying that. But my intent was come May to, you know, get on the plane, go back to England. Um, I was very fit at the time because I'd been playing a lot of soccer and been training a lot and just try and see what kind of level I could break into, whether, whether it was semi-pro, whether it was back in the, the local teams and see what where my football could take me. But Sean actually pleasantly surprised me in the sense that I was due to graduate on a Saturday and um, the following day to Sunday, he brought me into the club uh, with the directors of the club and the, the board and they offered me a full-time coaching position. So I graduated on a Saturday and on a Sunday, I had a full-time director coaching position lined up. So once again, I had to tell my parents, um, there's been a twist. <laughs> they thought I was coming, they thought I was going to be at the airport on Monday. And I just said, look, I'm, I'm going to stay here at least a full season and see how this club thing and this coaching takes, you know, how it goes. I was enjoying it in the spring. I was doing a little bit of um, a girls' high school team as well. So I was starting to go into that route of, you know, coaching, even though I was still fairly young and I could keep playing. Um, I, was, I was getting excited about the next step of my career. I think the only regret was when I went to um, Charlotte Park Sharon at the time is that there was a kind of stipulation, look, we want you 12 months of the year, um, every day, every night. And you know that what that's like in club. And so I had to sort of really step away from the thought of playing because every time I'd play or every game I'd play or if I travel with a team, I was going to be missing from my regular job, which was coaching. So I got into coaching early and I stepped away from playing pretty early, you know, 24, 25 years of age. Still find the odd game to play, but not in not, nothing under the serious level. It was, okay, coaching's the route I'm going to go. It's going to pay the bills. It's going to keep me in the country. So again, it was... A very fortunate place. Um, Sean liked what I was doing in the club in the spring, wanted to bring me on board full time. Um, I was starting to really enjoy the aspect of coaching and giving back to the game and, uh, you know, spent 10 great seasons with them and, and highly successful seasons. Right. So that would have been to what, 2001, 2003, somewhere in that range? Yeah. Yeah. 2001. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, then the next step for me was to break into the college game. Had no real intention of going to the college game. I was thoroughly enjoying my time at club. Um, you know, I thought club was great. I could bounce around from team to team, age group to age group. I was loving watching 14, 15 and 16 year olds, which was the age group I was in charge of. Boys or, boys or girls or both? Both, yeah. Um, I was loving watching those players fulfill their potential. I was what loving sort of having different levels and different skill groups. I'd be with uh, maybe the top team in the age group one night and maybe the fifth team in the age group the following night. But, you know, I was really invested in it. I really enjoyed watching players um, just try and, you know, love the game and really grow at the game. And I always used to think a sign of an excellent coach is when those players come back to play, you know, you retain your membership, then you know you're doing a good job as a coach. You know, you're going to have 
some wins and losses. You're going to compete for some titles. You'll win some championships. You'll lose some. But if you retain players, I think they've enjoyed playing for you. So I had no intention of really stepping away from um, the club game. But the Kataba position came open about 10 days prior to the season, which probably benefited me. They didn't have time to do a massive national search. And there were a couple of players on the Kataba program who had played for me at ODP level. I'd coached them at ODP. And uh, they went to their AD and said, look, there's a coach not too far down the road, about 50-minute drive, John Cullen, who we'd worked with at ODP, put a call into him. And and um, so it was very close to what would have been their preseason. And um, so they brought me up for a job interview. Um, and I didn't... I'd actually just left Charlotte Soccer Club um, summer camps. We were doing summer camps at Renaissance Park at the time or Ramblewood Park. I'm trying to remember right. which two places. So I finished camp at two o'clock, uh, drove up to Qatar. We got there for about three o'clock, met the AD, um, Dennis Davidson, who was a great guy. And I spoke to him for about two, three hours. And then it was getting closer to about five or six o'clock. And he just said, look, there's a number of the players have got back onto campus early. Um, getting ready for preseason, they don't have a coach. Would you be prepared or open to just having a train session? So I just went out there and did a train session with the group of players that came back early. I think I had about 12 players and um, just ran them through a train session while I happened to be there. I was actually in a suit and tie, I had no change of gear. <laughs> um, and you know, that night, Dennis called me and he said, Look, uh, the girls have just come knocking on my door. They've been ringing my phone since you left. You, they, you're the guy they want. And, um, you know, let's make this happen. And, uh, again, quick turnaround. I was offered the job that evening and uh, told the club, the club the next day that I was going to take that step. I always wanted to kind of try myself at the college game. But you never know when you're going to get into the college game. You never know what pathway, what route, who's going to give you that first chance. But Knowing that I knew about three or four of the players and I'd just worked with them that day and I enjoyed them. They seemed like great young ladies. It was um, it was a potentially a good match. So went there in 2001 to 2009. We had some fantastic seasons. I mean, phenomenal teams and um, had a lot of success there and uh, went on to win many championships and uh, reached the NCAA several times. Yeah, I mean, that's an, that's an amazing experience. I, I coached for 12 years in the college game and you know, we, I was fortunate to get the NCAA tournament once, uh, we mm -hmm. got knocked out in the first round, but we got to go to California and play UC Santa Barbara. Um, and that's just such a, such an achievement, particularly on the girl side as well. Um, and I think division two, I might mess up the numbers. I'm a little bit more familiar with the boys, but I know on the boys in division two, there's uh, a lot of teams and not a whole lot of NCAA tournament spots. So that's, that's yeah. quite an achievement and quite an experience for those girls. And then moving on from Catawba, it was straight into um, UNC Charlotte women's soccer program in about 2009-2010? Yeah, I mean, again, you, you always sometimes, you know, you think how does your life match up and, and what direction does it go? But while I was at Catawba, um, I was gaining some sort of, you know, notoriety, so to speak, in terms of, you know, having some success. So there had been a couple of positions that had opened up um, in Division One at the time. And, um, you know, I'd somewhat been offered a position at College of Charleston and somewhat been offered a head coaching position at Elon. And I turned them both down um, at various points in my collegiate coaching career at Catawba because deep down, I thought that the pull for me or the attraction for me was to go to Charlotte where I would played my collegiate soccer and maybe have a chance to go there. And um, 
So, you know, from 2001 to 2009, I think, you know, I turned down at least three other positions at Division One level with the hope that one day that maybe Charlotte might open up. And um, it did, you know, John Lipsitz, who had a good run with his team, stepped away and went to Kentucky um, and had, I think, three or four good years there and, and at Kentucky. But, um, you know, when the job opened up at Charlotte, I knew straight away I wanted to put my name in the hat for it. And... Um, I certainly wanted to give myself an opportunity and our Catawba teams were playing some great soccer you know at division two I always used to try and challenge us to play as many division one programs as we could in the spring and we were beating a lot of those programs and again that helped um, get our name out there and our brand out there but it helped me as a coach get a little bit more recognition regionally and nationally um, so when Charlotte came open um, Again, it was something that it was a pull for me. It was the, probably the first job that didn't fall in my lap, but I aggressively went for. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to land at Charlotte as a player because they recruited me. I was fortunate enough to go to Qatar because they wanted me. But I had to prove myself to Charlotte that I wanted to be there. And um, it was quite a lengthy recruiting uh, process of a coach because I think they got like 172 applicants um, from all types of backgrounds, club soccer, youth soccer, um, division one coaches, division two coaches, assistant coaches. So um, I was continually doing my job um, for Catawba while hopeful of getting the position at Charlotte. But I ended up being very fortunate to be an honor to be there, the head coach at Charlotte since 2009. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And, and at the alma mater, that's a, that's a neat, neat thing to be able to accomplish and create. I just wonder, um, and, and maybe you have a good answer for this or, or, or maybe not, but I wonder what are sort of your memorable teams and it doesn't mean that they're your favorite or that, you know, that, that they had the most success, but I just wonder what sticks out for you, whether it be a particular team or a particular period or just sort of the things that stick with you, uh, having coached now for, I guess, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, club soccer too. doesn't have to yeah, be college. I think, well, that's a, wow. That's a massively hard question to answer because I think each era each level, you have a team or two that stands out to you. I mean, you talk about at the club level, probably the first team that, you know, you win the State Cup with has that special um, connection. When you go to Catawba, that first team that really challenges for a title. Um, when you go to Charlotte and you win it maybe in 2016 or get to a final again in 17, or it, when we were in the Atlantic 10, we got to a couple of finals. But, you know, I, I think realistically, the first team, that um, I would always say that I have a fondness towards is the first team that you inherit when you get to a program because they're the ones that embrace your ideas. Um, you know, when I went to Charlotte, um, I, I told them, look, you know, there's a lot of things in place that I like, but there's some a certain style I want us to play with. And you certainly got to win people over. You got them to get them to embrace your ideas. You've got to get them to accept what you're bringing to the program. Without, without at the same time breaking the things that are there that are very good. So every place I went, um, you walked into a team that had some principles in place and characteristics in place and strong leadership in place. Um, and so if I was talking about my favorite teams, I, I think about wherever I went, it's those very first teams at each of those programs because they, they bought into what you are, are as a coach. They you know listened to your ideas, they jumped on board. Um, because if you didn't, if they didn't, you wouldn't be in those positions for 10 years or 12 seasons. You, you needed players to embrace everything you were bringing. So 
you know, I wouldn't like to single out a certain team or a certain era. I just think everywhere I went at the start, I needed to convince or show people, you know, another level of soccer, another level of playing, uh, a higher level of commitment. But um, my idea is how I wanted the game to be played. You know, it takes time. You just can't tell the players to go out there and say, look, I want us to pass out the back even more than you've ever done or start passing out the back for the very first time. Because as you know, every time you give the ball away and you can see the goal, the, the, the reaction would be, why are we doing this? Or, you know, what are we thinking, coach? We've just given up two goals in five minutes. But you stick to what you think the, the game is about and give freedom to your players. Um, but overall, all the teams I've coached, you know, going on 25 years, 30 years, whatever it is, um, you know, there's been so many great eras, so many great teams, so many great players and so many great moments. But... I, I go back to probably my playing days and say, look, that's some of my favorite times in soccer. I mean, those guys I'm still in touch with. Those guys we worked tirelessly with. Um, a, you know, you say, hear the phrase a band of brothers, but, you know, we were. We were smaller squads in those days. We were 22 players, 21 players. We didn't have, like, many college rosters now, 30-plus. We were a very small group of players, two goalkeepers. You're fearful if one got injured that you even hit the other one in training and you had 22 players battling for 11 positions on the field so it was a very competitive environment um, and those were some of my favorite times because those are the times and the eras where you think I'm going to stay here I, I love it I enjoy who I play with I enjoy who I'm going to school with and uh, you know I think those are special times that when you stay in touch with so many of your teammates that's an era um, that I will cherish for sure. Yeah, just a couple things there I want to uh, highlight or at least mention, and maybe we can talk about them a little bit more. Uh, first, you know, if you're talking about UNC Charlotte and, and the locker room, that's what Thomas Finley, uh, our, our executive director, always talks about that he misses most is, is just being around the boys or being around the locker room in that environment. Uh, and then I know having worked for Frank, um, he definitely gels a team together. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, guys, you guys go to war together. Um, and those teams are very, very strong units. And then I guess the one part that I want to either flag or maybe just see if there's there's more to suss out here. What what does a UNC Charlotte team look like or a John Cullen team look like? And then particularly that piece as you come in and you're trying to steer the boat in the direction that you best see fit, but you also know that you can't make that massive change immediately. So two parts to that. What yeah. what did you notice on changing that boat and too, has any of those sort of like styles or, or changed over the course of the course of your coaching career? Yeah, when you know when you first got there um, uh, and you land at a place, you want to get yourself as knowledgeable about a program and the players. So, I mean, when I first got there, I wanted to meet every player. Um, I wanted to talk to every player, and I wanted to give them an opportunity to um, start fresh, even if they'd been a, an all-regional conference player. Um, um, multiple starts so I wanted every player and even the players that hadn't stepped on the field that they had value to our program they were there for a reason they were recruited by the previous coaching staff um, I wasn't going to go out and try and recruit 20 new players to just that were going to be behind me I wanted to get them on board so when I, I watched as much film as I could I probably watched about five or six games and Again, you appreciate what the players are doing. You appreciate what the pre previous coaching staff are doing. Um, but I, I thought to myself, the three things I want to establish is a, a more possession-oriented team. Um, I felt like they could go from back to front pretty quickly. 
Um, they had some players at the back that could skip out the middle third of the pitch and get it into, you know, the final third of the pitch. But I've always felt like, you know, your, your special technical players want to be more involved. And, um, you know, you, I'm not a tall player. I was never an imposing player. I was five foot seven and five foot eight on a good day. Um, so I, I valued, you know, the ball. I wanted to, you know, get on the ball and, um, you know, feel like I was involved in the build-up. But what I, what I stress to the players is, you know, I don't want us just to have possession for possession. The sign of a team with possession is where you are territorial, where you're keeping possession. You know, you could knock the ball around the back all day long and say, look, our possession stats are very good, but we're not threatening enough. Um, so for me, it was possession to establish territory, to establish creating goal-scoring opportunities. Um, you know, I've been on teams, played with teams, coach teams where we've probably had 70% of the game and lost it. Um, and you think, you know, why have we lost it? It wasn't so much that the other team, um, you know, counted on us, is that we didn't create enough goal scoring opportunities throughout all that possession. So for us, I sat the players down and tried to break it into three things. Possession to, you know, control the ball. Territory about we establish where the game's been played to create goal scoring chances. And when they started to see that, that they were creating better goal scoring opportunities than maybe previously, more um, controlled opportunities rather than just a hopeful ball in the box. I think they started to recognize that we can build through the middle. We can get the ball into our dangerous players in good areas, in good spaces, with good movement, um, especially in training. When they start to see a higher level of shots hitting the back of the net or a higher percentages of better goal-scoring opportunities, I think they recognize that there's a way to build and a way to play in, in a territory. And, um, and that's kind of how I built a team from the back. I wanted us to get on the ball, pick out midfielders on the half turn, pick out midfielders who could face up and then get good movement ahead of that and play into our strengths. And our strengths were we had some wonderfully attacking-minded players and uh, I certainly didn't want to sub them out because I'd run them into the ground by asking them to chase lost causes. I wanted to keep them fresh by getting the ball where they could operate and be effective. So it takes time. Um, you got to have players that trust but I think when the players see the style of play and the brand of soccer, they um, they understand that it's enjoyable. And so I've always walked into a locker room every year and said, you know, my philosophy as a coach is to get the best version out of you as a player and to be us to be the best version of ourselves. And to do that, players can't be afraid to play. Um, I'll take the, um, you know, the brunt of the criticism, but I want them to play. I want them to get on the ball. Um, if there's somebody that's upset with something or disappointed in the result, I'll deal with that. But I never want them to lose the freedom and the, the positivity of playing. Yeah, and you, was that something that they typically bought in? Like, I'm interested in those first two years. I, I agree with you when you start, you know, I bounced around as an assistant coach, so I saw a lot of this. But um, when you start in, you have that, I don't know if you call it a honeymoon period, but they're they're rip raring, roaring to go. You know, new coach, new style. We're going to. We're going to make the most of it. So I wonder at that second year mark or earlier uh, if we're changing things or, you know, what the challenges might look like there. Or did you just sort of gradually build it up and found a lot of success on that same path? Um, you know, I think every player always thinks about a system and says, where do they see themselves fitting into it? You know, um, some formations of players, playing time may go up. Some formations of playing time may go down. I may not be as significant a role, but 
I certainly wanted to build it around the, the core, the players that I felt were very important to us, Haley Beam, Sam Hecker, Whitney Weinrub. So we went with the 4-2-3-1 for a number of years, um, and I explained the importance that they had in that formation to those key players for us. And um, those key players were going to drive us. Um, those key players were going to um, bring the intensity and the standard up every day. Yes, there's always going to be some players who their role may be lessened as a result of you know, lack of playing time or missed opportunity or, you know, we've devised a new system of play. But if your better players and your key players and your important players can feature and they see how important they are to it, I think it, it's helpful. It's when you lose a player with certain characteristics that you can't necessarily bring in a like for like. I mean, you don't graduate um, a Haley Beam and bring in another Haley Beam. She's one of those players that, you know, Will go down as a legend at Charlotte or Whitney Weinrub who got a shirt retired a few years ago as a, a goal scorer who could create goals out of nothing but there's always that um you know there's always that sort of unnerviness in each player and wanting to know what their role was but I I was very clear from day one that this was a system that I think could allow everybody to play um 4-2-3-1 was more of a layered formation um so there was more you know segments of the team, whereas what I inherited was a 4-3-3, which meant only the most athletic players were going to play. And um, if you're not one of those, you probably see reduced opportunities to get on the field. So I, I went away from the 4-3-3, which a lot of them were used to playing. Um, and a lot of them had come from that environment, even in school and club soccer. And I went with a 4-2-3-1, which none of them had ever played. And so it was a learning curve for all of them. And I think as players, you want to learn and continue to be challenged and pushed to see where you can go as a player. So for me, it was great because every player had never played it before. So it was new for everybody. So they're all learning at the same sort of wavelength and at the same time. And what I found is all the players were excited about learning something new, getting away from, you know, what they've played and, and feeling like there's more to the game than just one style, one formation. So and, you know, oddly enough, as I said earlier on in the podcast, a lot of my players went into coaching. And when I go and see their teams play, they're playing 4-2-3-1. Um, so you know, I was like, well, it, it did stick. At the time, I was probably trying to say, look, you know, go with it, understand it. But now they're all like, hey, coach, what happens if the nine drops in? Should the 10 go beyond the nine more? Or should we play the 7-11 narrow? Or should we play them wider? But it's great when you get those conversations because you're like, okay, um, you know, now you see the challenges that I had um, <laughs> introducing something, but it's wonderful to see. Um, you know, the challenge for any coach is when you lose high-level players, um, what that does to your style of play, but hopefully it's a team game and, you know, that's why there's 11 of them on the pitch. You know, you tweak it or you find new strengths in new players. Yeah. John, I, I could continue with the uh, the X's and O's here because I, I find it fascinating. I always love hearing a, another coach describe it and how it fits into their system and their, you know, their style or their mentality. Um, but I'm, I'm aware that you've got at most another 20 minutes here. So I want to shift just a little bit uh, over to the recruiting side. You know, hopefully anybody that's listening to this is, is enjoying that piece that we just went over. But uh, I want to know and thank you earlier for prior to the conversation and this being recorded. Uh, you broke the news to me and we were aware that it might happen that, let's see, today is Friday, May 29th, uh, the NCAA, at least for the Division One, we're still looking into Division Two and Division Three. the NCAA 
has extended the dead period to July 31st. For any of our listeners that are unaware what the dead period is, and correct me where I missed something, John. Uh, essentially, it's it's no no conversations uh, or in campus or, or or contact with players. So basically, what players are allowed to do with coaching staff is email. Um, there's probably some restrictions on on, on messages. Uh, I think private is probably what is allowed. Uh, no wall posts, things like that. You know as the technology changes, those rules continually get rewritten. But essentially today is the end of May or the 29th of May and going through June, there'll be an extension of the NCAA dead period. So that leads me to what can our players, particularly our female players, um, what can they be doing during this period to sort of recruit themselves, put their best foot forward? How can they help themselves? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult, unique time for us all. I think we're all trying to hit the reset button and um, figure out everything. This is an opportunity for us all to self-reflect. I think as players in, in, in the recruiting, it's a chance for them to self-reflect too about what kind of um, level of program they want to look for, uh, what kind of uh, school they're interested in attending. So it's a chance for them to continue to do a lot more research and a lot more homework on each institution. But, uh, you know, as coaches, and obviously, Barry, you're a coach and I'm a coach, and we always tell our players on the field, we've got to outwork the opposition, we've got to outplay the opposition. And I think the same comes to recruiting. We've got to tell the players, look, you've got to outwork the competition. Um, and, and the way you outwork them right now recruiting is, you know, put more communication out there about yourself, um, put more emails out there about yourself. Uh, maybe you've um, had some club movement within your own club. Maybe there is, a, like you said, there's um, movement up and down and within the club. Maybe you can just reaffirm your new roster status, who your new coach might be, who your new focal uh, contact person might be. Because I think when we get back into the recruiting world and as the coaches go out there, you're thinking, oh, this kid used to be on this team, but now she's on this particular team or this young man was on that team. Now he's been moved over. So, um, certainly bring them up to speed of where you are as a player going into the new year. Um, this is my coach. This is my team. Um, there's been some changes. There hasn't been any changes. Just keep us updated on that so it's easy to track you when we are allowed to watch you play. But I do I do think it's just outworking the competition. Um, I, I get probably on average about 15 emails a week from players who just send me what they're doing at home videos. Um, they're showing me some of the ball work they're doing. They're showing me some of the the work that they're doing in the yard and the, and the, around their uh, area where they live. I mean, there's limitations in what they can do. But when I see a player that's got self-improvement uh, mentality, I'm thinking, well, they're not restricted to this. They're finding ways and creative ways um, to keep training and keep their foot on the ball and keep their fitness levels up. So, I mean, if you're doing something as a player and you're proud of the effort you're putting in and you, you know, send a two-minute clip to a coach and say, look, I'm just doing a lot of cardio work. I'm on an exercise bike. I mean, I'm not going to watch a player cycle a bike for two minutes, but I'm, I'm excited to see that they are looking at it as a way to improve their game. So when they can get back to playing, this has not been missed, missed time. I mean, as coaches, we love to train and coach dedicated players and the more I see of a dedicated player in this time this unique time shows me their commitment to the game so just tell them put their best foot forward um, you can still be getting recruited even though they can't see you play by visibly sending them something to look at or just giving them some constant emails to keep them very relevant in conversations that uh that triggers two things for me there so one I don't know if uh, how specific you want to be here but 
I would love, or I would think our, our listeners uh, would love to hear, you know, what you're looking for or what a general outline is and what you're looking for in a player. And then how, particularly with game film, actual soccer game film, how you're able to sort of uh, see what you're looking for in that video and, you know, maybe what an appropriate video would look like, you know, six minutes of highlights and top level game or something like that. So sort of an open-ended question there. How do you recruit? What are you looking for? And how does video play a part for your program? You know, um, I think every video that you sometimes click and open, it just, I've been doing this for so many years, it, it, it surprises you and you get, you get some, you think, wow, this is so well done. Um, you know, I got one, ooh, I want to say four or five years ago where a player sent me a video and it showed her when she was playing when she was six uh, of a 10 to 15 second clip. And when she was eight and when she was 12, when she was 14 or six, I was like, wow, you just love to see just her early days as a soccer player, how much she's grown as a player and her love of the game. But I think the video um, for me is six to eight to 10 minutes is great. Um, you know, I'm not going to form an opinion after 30 seconds, but after an hour of watching video, I'm probably still be able to condense all those highlights into six to eight minutes. I personally prefer um, when I'm watching a video is to see the level of the competition. Um, you know, I see, I see a player send me a video and she may have scored four goals from three yards out where she's just tapped it in, um, you know, just fortuitous, good anticipation. She's in the right place at the right time. But I want to see as high a quality of competition or opponent as possible to see, you know, you being stretched, you know, you were, you as a defender, you were going with a very pacey forward or you were having to track quality movement and you showed good patience in your defending posture and your stance, forced them out wide. I want to see as a midfielder that you can apply pressure to the ball and close people down. I want to see that you can create space for yourself and against good opponents. As strikers, I want to see you tracking back. Um, I want to see you closing from the front. I want to see you attacking crosses. I want to see you com combining going to goal. So whatever your position is, you know, show the situation of the moments in the game that are important to a coach, not just you shooting all the time as a forward. Um, you know, if I'm going to, see you shooting all the time, then I'm probably going to get 20 clips from 25 different games. But what I could get is I could get one game and 15 moments in that game as you as a forward. Um, just your diagonal run to create space. Maybe you didn't get the ball, but I'm aware of the movement. Um, as a front player, your willingness to work back into midfield. Um, as a front player, your ability to go and attack a corner or be on a set piece. So I'm looking for the situations in a game against a high level opponent rather than, you know, clips from 20 different games of you doing the same thing over and over against different opponents. I mean, as a defender, I got one on the defender recently. She showed me her clearing the ball against five different opponents, literally the same way. So again, it doesn't really stand out. It just says to me, look, I know you can clear the ball, but I want to see those moments where you're isolated as a defender, 1v1, how you defend it, um, when you stepped into midfield, why you stepped into midfield to close a ball down, um, a ball over the top, how you played it back to your goalkeeper and opened up to receive it. So, you know, tell players when they're putting clips together, it's, it's not necessarily the, the same repetitive skill set. It's a number of tactical thoughts throughout the game that as a coach, you can get an idea of a player's awareness and ability to think and solve problems.
So when you see when you see a player, um, you're looking particularly for how they interact or make decisions in multiple areas. And then, you know, I think you mentioned it three times, so it's, it's clearly important. You got to see them play against a top-level team. If you're not sure of the level, um, you're either going to have to find out what that level is or you're going to request maybe more footage or different footage. Do you ever request, if, if, a, if a player highlights your interest, do you ever request a half of a game, a full game? It, maybe if you can't get to see them play, maybe they're in California and you're not making a trip to California? Yeah, we do, especially if they feel very good about that game. Um, if they feel like, look, I know this game is one of my standout performances. I, I would love for those coaches to have seen me play. They didn't get to see me play, but they can still see that game afterwards and say, look, I know I personally as a player, I had a, a really good, great, great game. My coaches gave me feedback. My teammates were, you know, giving me pats on the back. So if you feel like it's a game that you had a really good uh, performance level, then yes, get that to the coach and say, look, you may not be able to see me play live for the next three months, but here's a top, top game that I played against maybe some players that I knew this girl was going to University of Georgia and this girl was going to college at Charleston or this girl was going to Stanford. So whatever it is, I'm just throwing some schools out there. But now you start to see that there's a player that sent you the film, it played in a good game against good opponents and she sent you that game because you know, you couldn't be there physically to see it, but she wanted you to see it. So, yeah, there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, you know, you know, it's just important that you recognize what you're sending. Um, you know, it, you know, I had a player a, a number of years ago when I was at Catawba and she was a defender and uh, she sent me a video of her team and their team won 5-0. So I didn't get to see much in the way of defending. Um, and what she tried to show me that she was on a good team um, and that her team was a strong team throughout the state and the region, which they were. But I ended up recruiting the girl on the video that scored four goals. And um, I was like, you know, I hate to say this, but who's the, who's the striker that you showed in the footage? So it's be careful what you send because it's important that you're showcasing your best game, not just a game. Um, and if you don't feel ready, then, then that game is probably not something you want to, uh, you know, get out there. It's the same when a, a player says to a coach, look, I've got a game next week. Love for you to come and watch me play. Me personally, as a player, I would say I would wait until I'm confident in my ability and in performance levels to let the coaches know it's time to come and watch me play. Because when they come and watch you play, you still may not be anywhere close to your sharplessness and your top level performances. And that can work against you. So, you know, I would tell a player when you feel when you feel confident, when you feel like you're competitive and you feel like you're at the top end of your game, that's when you want to get the coaches to come and watch you train, play. Um, and even if they see you for 20 minutes, they know that you're um, performing well. So, you know, with this COVID-19, you know, I think when the players do get back, I think they'd need a nice base or foothold of six weeks of some good training before they ask coaches to come and see them play again so that they can really establish that they're playing at a high level rather than, well, he looks really off the pace or she looks off the pace. And, and what that says to me is they haven't really done much in those previous weeks and months while they've been off. They're, they're banking on trying to make up for lost time, which is, which, which is very difficult. Yeah, it seems to me to be a great opportunity to get ahead. You know, you can't play the game during, the, during our current suspension of play, but you can work on your fitness, you know, and, and being fit isn't being a soccer player, but it, it's a part of it. And then yeah. you can definitely improve, you know, either your technical ability or at least just your confidence, you know, on the ball. And so, you know, maybe if a, a coach does see you in those first six to eight weeks when we're back out in the field and we're back against good opposition, 
uh, maybe you're able to put yourself a little bit further ahead of somebody who hasn't taken that time during this definitely. period. Definitely, I mean, fitness yeah. is something you can always do on your own. You know, goalkeepers are pretty lucky. The shot stopping part, as long as they've got somebody that can serve them balls, they'll be able to work on those technical pieces. Uh, field players, it's more going to be ball mastery and just, just confidence uh, in their ability and in their touch and then fitness, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. fitness is hard work and discipline. You put it in or you don't, you'll be fit or you won't. Yeah. Yeah. It's very low set. John, anything you want to end on? This is, this has been fantastic. I loved, I love personally speaking. I loved all the, the conversation of the tactics and just sort of the background and the history, but I'd love to give you an opportunity here before we sign off to, to talk about the program or about UNC Charlotte or, or sort of highlight anything that the school does really well, particularly with your program. I know that you guys have had a lot of success and it looks to continue and I wish you the best of luck in that, but this is sort of your chance to mention anything we didn't get to. Yeah, no, thanks for the, the forum, Barry. Appreciate the opportunity. I mean, it's been great. Um, I mean, obviously, as I said to you on the phone, um, you know, the soccer community is very close. And um, I think one of the things that we've very fortunate in this area, we've got great clubs, we've got great organizations, we've got great universities. Um, you know, I would generally encourage players to go and get beyond their own little environment and, um, you know, get out and see more of what's available to them. You know, if you're interested in Charlotte then you know, come and watch games because, you know, as much as we're actively recruiting you, we want you to see the level of what, you know, we are looking for in our players. And, uh, you know, our season, like all universities, we're waiting to see what that's going to look like. We're hopeful that we'll get back on the soccer field soon and play and do what we all love to do. Um, but, you know, my advice to young players in particular I mean, I was involved in the, the college. I've been involved in the college game for 20 plus years. But the club thing is try and take advantage of all the fact that you're a member of a club rather than just a team within the club. And, you know, my dad and my mum always used to say, look, you can train with as many teams as you want within the club, because if you're a member of the club, you're a member of the club. And I would be a 14 year old training with 18 year olds and the next day training with 12 year olds. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think more and more young players need to take advantage of a great club and a great organization as to expand their horizons and train with different coaches, different environments. If you go out as a 14-year-old boy and train with the 16-year-olds, you're putting yourself in an, an uncomfortable environment, but you're preparing yourself for college. And, um, you know, I, I, would, I would advise young players to do more of that. You know, when you leave a club, feel like you got so much out of it that you're prepped for the college. And while you're looking for your colleges, go and check out a place like UNC Charlotte. We've got a great school, great leadership, great administration, geographically we're in a wonderful place, quality of education, got some wonderful programs here across the board. And so, you know, this is a time for players to do more when they come back and hit the reset button, refresh and say, I'm going to tack this more on um, and not just, you know, ease back into what it was. I think it's a, this has been a chance for all of us to re self reflect a bit more. And me as a coach, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, talk to our basketball coach and learn things about what they do and talk to our football coach and how they manage their players. So chance for all of us to, you know, stretch our, stretch ourselves as people and as players and as coaches and as, and um, you know, get more from this. So stay safe and thank you for the opportunity today, Barry. John, thank you. Well said. I really appreciate it.